So very lucky to have Joe from Periscope Equity on with us today. Uh, appreciate you being here. Yeah, no, happy to be here. I was uh, excited when I heard about the opportunity. You know, love to, to share a little bit of what I've learned about, you know, joining the PE world. Um, I feel like I've taken a little bit of a unique path, uh, you know, more so than a lot of people um, who do the, you know, the traditional two plus two. Um, but I, you know, I feel like I'm, you know, I'm better for it. I'm happy to share everything I've learned and, and share a little bit about where I've ended up, you know, with Periscope here in Chicago. Perfect. Perfect. Yes, I mean, we'll love to get, um, I mean, I'm happy to do, of course, a uh, quick little background on our end. Um, so Joe and I connected, I was looking, it was actually, I think, like November 2017, that you and I connected all of our LinkedIn. So I'm just trying to think of like when the actual time was, um, but it must have been around like source group time frame when we were like visiting Chicago. Um, I remember arguably getting like stuck in one of the polar vortex years. Um, we were just like snowed in at the Lowe's Hotel and effectively to the point where like jet fuel was being frozen like literally while they were filling up planes so no one was allowed to fly um which arguably i mean i guess like pros and cons because of course just there's an element to being snowed in which i think is kind of fun um but yeah i mean chicago is a great spot um a little background on ourselves over here of course like office hours business oriented around helping out banking analysts think through next steps good amount of buy side prep came across of course periscope wanted to learn a little bit more because naturally joe will mention um, effectively how they are hiring and looking into call like 2023 opportunities. I think some 2022 opportunities as well, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but a little background on myself. And then of course, I uh, will have to get it and uh, turn it over to Joe and get a better understanding on your end. Of course, maybe a little bit of background starting with Georgetown and then I guess um, going from there. Yeah, for sure. I uh, know. Happy to do so. Yeah. And excited to uh, kind of get our name out there a little bit more and, and, yeah, we're looking for, you know, associates at the moment uh, for a few different, you know, timeframes. Um, so I'd say we're probably more flexible on that, awesome. on that part of it. But um, yeah, to, to kick things off, uh, you know, went to undergrad at Georgetown University where I focused on econ. Um, so a liberal arts degree, um, but always interested in, in the finance world. Um, I, I started my career in kind of a rotational program at ENY. Um, just general management consulting, which I, I think is unique, I think, as a, as a path to PE. Um, but I think it's a very valuable skill set to bring to the table, you know, especially in the lower middle market. Um, this was not your classic commercial due diligence group, right? Like the, the LEK, Bain, Parthenon, you know, teams that, that work alongside PE firms a lot. You know, I was mm -hmm. at EY, I was more in corporate strategy, okay. know, helping helping large companies look through, you know, operating model reviews, um, you know, implement new technologies, build business cases for, for investment, um, and, and did some competitive analysis, um, expert interviews, market sizing, stuff like that, but in a very different context. Cool. Um, very interesting. Yeah. Was consulting what you wanted? Um, well, I mean, excuse me, like fresh out of like undergrad, is that what you thought about? Did you think about getting into banking? I thought about it a lot. I, I think, you know, I, I liked the allure of consulting because I just like the variety of work. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, I probably see the consulting skill set and the private equity skill set as closer than most, um, you know, as, as closely related, um, especially in the lower middle market. Mm -hmm. Right. The um, look, it, it, 
you still need to understand a lot about how LBOs work and, and how to build a three-statement model, you know, and all the great things that make, you know, make analysts from banking desirable. Um, but over time in the lower middle market, those models are, are pretty basic. You know, they're, they're high level. The, the businesses aren't as complicated. A lot of them have one product line or a revenue stream. You know, the census is maybe 30 or 40 people, right? You don't need to have a ton of firepower to, to you know, accurately forecast them. Um, but where you can really generate a lot of alpha um, is by being a better consultant and adding more value to them. Um, and, and, you know, teaming up with management teams, you know, more successfully helping them brainstorm or problem solve or, or, you know, change strategic direction um, or, or finding, you know, market insights from a competitive dynamic, you know, through a lot of that commercial due diligence um, that you do up front, mm-hmm. right, on a deal. And, and, and that's something, I mean, and this was true at, at SFW, my, the first firm I worked at and, and now Periscope, yeah. but neither of them use, uh, you know, LEK, Parthenon, Bain to run commercial right. due diligence work, right? It's right. done in-house. I think firms that do that um, are probably more common in the lower middle market, but it, it's it's common because you need to own it, um, and that's where I you know I saw my kind of consulting skill set really being an, an asset. No, that's awesome, and um, definitely know SFW name quite well. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but GLG portfolio company that yeah, many GLG, I'm sure many individuals uh, know about that like Borderland returned the fund above and beyond from yeah. what I've heard. No, GLG was a was a really fun investment, right? Because we also got a little bit of the you know the in house discount uh, when we were going mm-hmm. yeah, our, yeah, yeah. calls. Um, it was great to be like, come on, you know, you guys owe us one anyways, so uh, yeah, you know, give us the yeah. special rate. But that was only successful like half the time, so uh, really, yeah, <laughs> didn't say yeah, it was yeah. Too funny. For those that don't know, in all honesty, so GLG is a massive business. Um, I would argue that like office hours is like somewhat emulated a little bit of kind of that like paper call model, where of course there's a specific rate, the house takes a uh, percentage of that. And then of course, majority ends up going to the individual that is the coach or the expert call it. So GLG is utilized for private equity diligence quite a bit when it comes to literally company or firms calling on whether it be like companies, customers, companies, consultants to learn more about that entity that might become a portfolio company. It's like, we're technically based out of this like we work type play here. It's like, oh, listen, like if I want to like look at WeWork as an asset, I want to connect with maybe like call like partners of WeWork, larger customers of WeWork, get a better understanding of like how they think about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and like I far and away, I think it's one of the most valuable sources of information that you can mm-hmm. get. Um, it, it definitely takes effort and, and skill to know how to get the right person on the phone, you know, search right. the network well and, and, and do that, you know, do that well, but, um, and also interview them well, right? You can't, yep. you can't lead them into answers. You have to be unbiased. Sometimes you have to play dumb a little mm-hmm. bit and, and, you know, say like office hours, never really heard of that one. You know, yeah. can you tell yeah, me yeah. a little bit more? Um, totally. and, and kind of follow on with really smart questions until by the end, you know, they're like, wait a second, you knew something yeah, about this all yeah, along. Yeah, yeah. Um, but a lot of our, you know, a lot of our investment theses come out of those calls. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to, I feel like even, even as a VP now, like I try to be on everyone that I can and, and lead everyone that I can. Um, I don't think it's something that Periscope will, will outsource ever in the future. Cause I think it's, it's so valuable 
to hear it, you know, hear commentary from people in the industry um, that have yeah. spent their whole careers, you know, in and around these companies. Um, there's a lot that, you know, you can't learn from websites or from Sims or, or from research reports. Totally. Um, I guess if you don't mind me asking, I mean, I definitely, and naturally anyone that'll kind of like go to the LinkedIn or get like an understanding of background, you see the consulting to PE to business school, and then of course, consulting again at Bain, um, back to PE. If you don't mind me asking, of course, just kind of like the decision tree there, what that looked like. Um, and then even today, as you look to potentially hire associates, I mean, you look into consultants, is it generally bankers? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so I'll take I'll, I'll take those one at a time. But but first, for my for my personal path, right? I I really enjoyed my time in consulting. I, I love the variety that you get and the teams you work on. I think it's um, you know it's a dynamic career, right? And those are hard to find. Um, but you know, working at Bain, I, I actually spent the summer in their private equity group. Right, was something I never really you know had experience with before, and I really enjoyed it. Um, you know. The, the constant thought I had when I was there was like, man, it would have been awesome to be here out of school. I would learn so much about private equity by working for clients like KKR and CBC and, you know, Leonard Green and, and learning about how they shape their theses. Um, mm -hmm. And it was, you know, it was exposure to a world of private equity I had never worked in before, right? Mm -hmm. They're doing deals that have EVs in the billions, um, you know, they're, they're names that I've heard of before. Usually all of our companies outside of GLG, I'd never, you know, never know about ahead of the, ahead of time. Um, right. But it, you know, but it, it also kind of was for me, it was a way to stay involved in the private equity world if I didn't find the right fund. Um, you know, and this, this is a little bit of a different mindset, I think, than a lot of people have. But when you're, when you're thinking about the mid-level role, the VP role, right? It's not the two-year or three-year commitment, right? You're committing to like a decade, really, mm -hmm. you know, and, and your comp is going to be, you know, mostly driven by investments you make after you join yeah. and those realizations, right? Which so you're, you're thinking, you know, if, if you don't stick around for 10 years, you know, you're mm -hmm. not going to get the pay that makes private equity worth it. Totally. Um, and, and so for me, it was like, if I don't find the right fund, Bain Private Equity Group is probably the best place for me. Mm -hmm. um, and, and as I, you know, my criteria coming out of business school are like, I wanted to do tech. I mm -hmm. wanted to stay in Chicago. I wanted like a fund one or fund two, because I wanted, you know, that upside from growth of the firm. Um, and that Venn diagram started getting pretty small, pretty totally. quickly. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, uh, and, and before I guess I get to my next question, I would be curious, of course, on the associate side of things, when it comes to looking at consultants as a whole, and as you think about that, um, kind of, I mean, of course, like the decision tree, but also at the same time, like those candidates and what that looks like on your end. Yeah, for sure. And I, and I think, look, I, you know, the, we're definitely looking for, for every candidate um, mm -hmm. that we can, but it's, you know, for me, leaving consulting and going into PE, definitely had a different learning curve. Um, I, I feel like I was lucky to go to a place like SFW that they only recruited consultants before I was there. And they knew what to do with my existing skill set. Um, and, and for context, they're kind of like an AEA spin out, right? So they have that Bain Capital, AEA, you know, style where they mm -hmm. mostly recruit consultants. Um, 
And you know, so they knew what to do with me. Now, Periscope's only recruited bankers before me. So it's still, uh, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm a little bit of a unicorn here, but, um, you know, I think, you know, at some point we'll definitely bring in consultants too. I, I think a mix is definitely best. Um, but, but sometimes you just got to have the scale to, you know, to handle both skill sets and, and, to, and to train people appropriately because, you know, consultants still have the same modeling test. They still have the same case study. You know, they got to hold their own in the interview process to, to convince people, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm as good or better than, you know, my, my peers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, totally. We find, honestly, consultants tend to do pretty darn well in interviews. We've had the few consultants that we've worked with. We're talking Golden Gate Capital. We're talking AEA. We're talking Bain Cap. We're talking Advent Placements, uh, CDNR, Berkshire, really, really, really solid firms. Um, I never really knew what a beach day was until I started connecting with more consultants. Um, that being said, so effectively, it's like a time where like you're in between projects, correct me if I'm wrong, whereas um, like bankers that I connect with, they don't even understand what that means. Um, just the fact that you have like literally like time off where you can kind of regroup for a second, because I guess you're traveling so much, you're doing so much work to regroup for a second. And it makes total sense where that should be part of the banking curriculum. The reality is like, I don't know if they'll uh, accept it in that capacity because people love like they like really pride themselves on how much they work and how much they grind. Long story short, consultants get more free time to practice interview prep, to model. And they also go in arguably like fresher on like from a mind perspective, like a physical, like like presence perspective. And I feel like they literally perform better in interviews because of that. Yeah, no, I, I could definitely see that. Right. And, and, Sometimes I feel like, you know, our interviews, it's you catch someone on the wrong day and, oh, you know, yeah. you see the bags under their eyes and they're just not ready. Right. Um, but that's right. how it happens sometimes. But maybe I'll caveat it with, I, I do think that consultants get a lot less at bats. Um, and I, I felt that when I was going through the process, I think I only had really two interviews and mm-hmm. one of which was SFW. So you better be batting, you know, 500 at least, uh, to, to break into the industry because you got to make every chance count. Um, yeah. Cause they're just, you know, the list that you named, those are kind of the firms that hire consultants. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot less, you know, banking mm-hmm. is definitely the path, um, you know, of a most likely, out, you know, positive outcome. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. More and more common that they are looking into consultants, which is nice mm-hmm. to hear mm-hmm. overall. Um, but Joe, you brought up a really good point in all honesty around how you think about like VPs and effectively like, that role for not like a couple of years, but much more long-term. At mm-hmm. Periscope, when you're potentially looking for associates, senior associates, do you kind of expect that same line of thinking as in like, you know, maybe go to business school, maybe we'll like help pay for part of business school, you come back. And of course, it's like more of a career track role because arguably like that's how we think about it when it comes to, of course, like if everything ends up being two and out, then like you don't necessarily have a path forward other than just like, okay, I'll do this for two years and then leave. Whereas if you think about it from an associate perspective, like we've had many of our coaches go to like a TA, TCB type shop, go to HBS, GSB, what have you, top seven, and then effectively get that either paid for entirely, partially paid for, come back as VPs. So arguably part of it is like you think about associate role as like, okay, this could be my last and final job. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that, I mean, that's a great way to put it. Um, I don't think enough people, you know, take that perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, but look, the, you know, I'd say, you know, smaller firms tend to be a little bit more flexible, you know, in the, in the paths forward, you know, up the, up the ranks. And, 
you know, one of the things I'd, I'd tell people to do is like try to forecast, you know, the growth in AUM for a firm so that you can kind of picture your career five, 10 years out and see how many seats will be available. Mm-hmm. Um, that like, you know, if there were two core criteria that I was thinking through a business school, you know, it was growth and culture. Because staying somewhere for 10 years, like on the culture side, you have to feel like you can work there for and sure. work with those people for 10 years, which totally. is, a, is hard. I had never done that before, right? Yeah. In a big consulting or banking organization, like if you get, you know, draw a bad card and you're on the wrong team, like you can kind of move around, you know, maybe change groups or change managers. Mm-hmm. Um, but PE firms are so small, like there's no hiding. Um, and, you, and you need to like everyone there. Um, yeah. You know, especially if you're going to spend a decade with them, you know, pretty totally. much every day. Um, yeah. So that's, that's one half of it. And the other half is growth because you have to feel like over time, you know, even if you're, you know, if you're an associate and maybe it's when you're a senior associate or VP, you have to feel like there's enough room for you to make a name for yourself. Um, you know, especially in the VP kind of mid-level is when you start getting, you know, some autonomy to lead deals and, and champion a new platform and kind of having, you know, that successful track record is how you kind of move up in the firm and, and, and own a sector or own a thesis type or, you know, kind of build your personal brand. Mm-hmm. Um, but some firms get too crowded. Right. right? And, and I see that a lot more on the institutional side, but, you know, sometimes in the middle market, right. Like, you know, they end up kind of fat in the middle and, those, those environments where there's just like kind of too many VPs can just, it can affect the culture a little bit because um, mm-hmm. they just get really competitive with each other. Um, right. So that's what I was kind of thinking about too, is like, you got to think about AUM growth, deal velocity. If they're doing two deals a year and have two VPs, it's like perfect. They can each do one and no, yep. no harm done. But if it's like they do one deal a year and have three or four VPs, like you could see that's kind of a recipe for like some conflict because um, everyone's trying to fight to be that one deal, um, you know, and, and, and be the one that gets to kind of shine in the, in the eyes of, you know, the partners and the investors that year. Um, so it's good to keep that in mind when even at the early stage, when you're looking at a fund is think about the trajectory um, and the size of the pie, right? Because growing the size of the pie makes it a lot easier um, for everyone to get along. Totally. Totally. No, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, to that point, in all honesty, um, around Periscope as a whole, when you're thinking about growth, when you're thinking about culture, can you tell us a little bit more around what attracted you to the opportunity there as a whole and kind of like how you potentially like, not necessarily like sell it to juniors, uh, but position it to juniors, right? Call it like ourselves, like at age 23, 24, 25, as we kind of think about kind of like the next step. Yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, I was super sensitive to culture, right? Making a decision for, for a decade. Um, to me, I think, you know, part of the personality of a firm is where it is. I, I think the, the Midwestern values are at the core of Periscope. And you see that just in, in general in people's personalities. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they tend to be a little bit, a little bit friendlier, a little bit, uh, you know, maybe a little bit more folksy than you get on the East or West Coast. Um, but that's on, on purpose. And I think that's by design. Um, and, and I think it makes people a little bit more approachable, um, not as sharp elbowed, right? The, the finance community in Chicago in general is smaller. Um, you know, going to a place like Booth or Kellogg, you probably have, you know, a fellow alumni at 
every private equity firm. Um, mm-hmm. So because of that, it's not as like, you can't burn any bridges, right? Everyone's very conscious right. of, of how they, you know, how they carry themselves and how they act, even in the broader environment. And I think that reflects itself in the culture of the firm. Um, you know, things specifically that really drew me were, you know, Periscope at the time was a fund one. You know, now it's a fund two. Mm-hmm. We've, we've had eight platform companies, you know, it's still at a very entrepreneurial stage. Yeah, and I love that, right? I, you know, I didn't know if I was ready to like sign up for a first time fund where I'm out there fundraising for, you know, for six or 12 months with, you know, without, without something to work from. Um, but I love jumping into something with a little bit of infrastructure, but was mm-hmm. still very much a blank canvas. Um, yeah. You know, when I think about our, our template LBO, it's like, I remember when we were putting that together, you know, or, or our template IC memo. It's like, you know, it was a chance to put my fingerprints on things. And, you know, in, in the entrepreneurial environment, I'm sure, you know, you've worked at multiple startups, you know, this, like people tend to wear a lot of hats mm-hmm. and the variety of experience, you know, it's actually really attractive. Right. Like you can feel like you're getting a more wholesome kind of kind of feel for the private equity industry. Right. I, I get exposed to fundraising and to memorandums and to you know, fund structure and, and thinking about, you know, our operations group and how they interact with us and all this kind of strategy level stuff that at a big institutional fund, it's like there's like three layers of people to deal with that before you even get to the deal team, right? right? It's, it's, it's the deal team doesn't get to manage the firm as much. Um, but I love, I love working on that stuff in real time. Definitely there are some growing pains, but um, of course. it's the fun stuff because you're trying to build something that can scale. You know, okay. You're trying to build a firm that can be there for decades to come. Of course. No, in all honesty, I find uh, first-time funds to be the most attractive. Of course, I like more of the entrepreneurial kick. Um, but in all honesty, just from the angle of like, of course, being in finance as a whole, getting the advantage of starting kind of like zero to one almost when it comes to, of course, like from a base level to be able to grow mm-hmm. something, in my mind, is more attractive than going to a larger fund where like, I mean, so from the perspective of, of course, kind of like one of my last employers, it was naturally like, the domain name that is will always carry more weight than my name will ever carry, right? Whereas if you go to a, not even so much like a no name or helping out a startup, whether it be a fund or a company build out that name, well then synonymously, of course, like your names can like, frankly, like move in like someone maybe of like a upward trajectory. And I think that itself carries a lot of weight, especially if you're looking for a little bit more of I mean, I wouldn't even necessarily say it's like a riskier angle, but it is a bit riskier technically than going to an Apollo Blackstone Carlisle. But at the same time, like what's the upside that you're kind of playing for, right? Um, because if you end up staying for five years at an Apollo and then get to principal and then finally start getting carry, I actually just learned, um, I think it was like yesterday where principals at these funds still get like, we're talking like 30, 70% splits when it comes to base and bonuses. We're talking like bases being like very, very low because the whole concept is like, okay, like work grind for the entire year. And then we'll literally compensate you phenomenally. Don't get me wrong. Um, but you'll make like 150 base, like 175 base, even as like a principal, like 10, 12, 15 years into it. And sure, that's good and great. But like, you're definitely like, there's a level of risk appetite there too. Mm-hmm. Being like, all right, like I'm going to grind for the year and like figure out what this looks like. And also like, because I'm at a cutthroat shop, like, you know, I can also get let go, 
right? Because at the end of the day, like they're very based according to like who's going to put in the most amount of work. And because they're large and structured in that way, some of these larger like public vehicles, you don't necessarily know how they're thinking about headcount, mm-hmm. I think. So just being like more a little bit more like family environment at a smaller boutique or shop where it's like you can read the people around you. They have an understanding of you as a person rather than a number. I think that carries a lot more weight personally, especially when you're working like 80, 90, 100 hours a week. I mean, it's not necessarily like easy stuff by any means. I mean, that's like really, really important in my mind to be like, all right, like I'm joining their family. They're joining mine. Is there a fit here? And if there isn't, figure it out. Otherwise, like you're literally going to spend majority of your life doing this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And and well, I mean, one of the things I learned kind of coming out of business school and and, you know, look, Going to business school, you get a chance to take a step away from work, but also to kind of run a process of your own, you know, to do recruiting, right? It's hard when you're, when you're lateraling or you're leaving a place because you got to fit in interviews in between work and you got to like make an excuse to go to a super day and like at least so many of those excuses you can come up with in the short amount of time. Um, but at business school, you have that flexibility and so you can line up a couple offers at once um, and, and you know, I, I leverage the professors at Booth like a ton during this process, nice. but they have a great pulse on what private equity comp looks like for post MBA, you know, candidates at a variety of funds. Mm-hmm. And what was surprising to me is, is you really do back into pretty much the same range everywhere. Yeah. And, and the, you know, I'm surprised to hear about that example you gave because in general, cash comp is higher at the bigger funds and your carry dollars at work are lower. And, and that's just, look, they're an institution. They have a lot more people that want their hand in the carry pool. Mm -hmm. So that's just how they have to shape comp and looking, you know, the partners at those firms are fine paying more cash for associates and VPs so that they don't have to give them carry. Right. And and that's kind of how it works. Um, but over time, it kind of sets it up in such a way that if you think about VPs being kind of similar pay across any fund size, all it does is kind of like your appetite to be indexed to investment performance. And mm-hmm. the more dollars at work that you have in the carry pool, the more your pay is going to be correlated with the performance of the firm. Yep. Uh, yep. And, and look, at, at Periscope, I know everything about every investment we make. I love right? it. Everyone Right. Because there's only like there's only eight. Right. That we mm-hmm. that we've made as a fund mm-hmm. at Apollo or a Blackstone. Right. You're not going to know a ton about the portfolio, especially right. if they're closing like a deal a week. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just it's just too hard. So you kind of have to, you know, you have to be comfortable maybe with a little bit more, you know, um, mm-hmm. opaqueness, you know, in, in what mm-hmm. your long term career uh, comp will be like. Um, but I'm, I'm sure there are other ways that they solve for that. Right. And and. Um, maybe by sector bonuses and stuff like that. But um, mm-hmm. I, I at least like the exposure to the rest of the fund and, and feel like mm-hmm. we're in it together, right? Mm-hmm. And, and feel like we're well aligned to, hey, we know what the pie, the size of the pie is. And as long as we keep focus on growing it, um, we'll all be okay, right? Totally. Uh, yeah. Honestly, you bring up a really good point, right? Structure as a whole. I think structure is mm-hmm. super important in the beginning of your career when it comes to, of course, kind of like building out that discipline, the rigor, getting into banking and getting into consulting and like knowing, okay, X to Y to Z, this is what maybe my day looks like. This is kind of like my workflow, what I should be focused on, what I should be doing. 
But then later on in your career, in my mind, I would argue almost like less structure is better. So you can have a little bit more like obviously like autonomy, flexibility, and be able to run with things where you know that like, okay, I have a pretty good idea that this is going to go my way. Mm -hmm. um, only because of course, like if you go to like an Apollo Blackstone Carlisle, more structure. Now, of course, from that perspective, like certain amount of years that you have to do associate, senior associate, principal, and because also they're bigger, they can't necessarily give out carry or like flexibility when it comes to like cash comp or, mm -hmm. oh, you got like an offer here. So let's like up and increase your dollars here. It's like, no, listen, like this is what we do. You take mm -hmm. it, you don't take it. Like, this is what we do. There's no like changing up. Whereas like at a smaller fund at call it mid-market, upper middle market, lower middle market, where it's like, okay, we're not necessarily bound by our like investors because we're a public entity or mm -hmm. LPs where we're telling them over your class of 10 associates and they all cost us this amount, very, very structured. And we've been paying them this amount for like the last 15 years. So that flexibility itself is like, okay, someone might come in as an associate, but all of a sudden like is able, like I've seen individuals go from associate to principal in like two years where it's like, oh, like maybe they got an offer from like another first time fund and then we're able to effectively leverage it being like, okay, listen, like, do you want me to go there? Or can you do something for me, general catalyst or XYZ fund where it's like, sure, it may not be the standard trajectory, but we've seen it all where it's like effectively, it might be a little bit more VC growth, but like partner titles at like age 30. It's like, how did that happen? Or someone went instead of like the traditional, like call it two, three, four, five years and was able to escalate and get promoted earlier. That I think is like really interesting for like a first time fund or a smaller fund where it's like, listen, like if you're good, like you can actually finagle something like that. If you tell Apollo, like, hey, listen, like promote me in three years because you know I'm really good, they can be like, listen, like, remind me your name again. Like, what's going on here? Yeah, no, absolutely. And and that's a big change, I think, in general from investment banks or consulting firms into PE, right? Because you're already in general, PE firms are going to be smaller. So in general, you're gonna you're gonna take a step away from corporate structure and hierarchy. And yeah. it does take the right. It's, you got to have the right attitude. You got to have the right ambition. You got to have the right level of comfort with ambiguity to be successful mm -hmm. in those new roles. Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, we had, we had an associate start this week and I already kind of gave him this talk, but it's like when you join the teams, right? And PE in general, they're smaller. Like they're, it's going to be me and associate and either a partner or principal. Like we're going to be a three person team. And I don't mean this to be like blunt, but I'm not going to have time to like audit everything you do. Yeah. And this is like, I'm going to take a leap of faith on some of those deck pages, right? Where mm -hmm. it's late at mm -hmm. night and we're trying to have a, you know, we're both trying to have a life. So I'm going to kind of skim as you get more experienced. Yeah. Um, you have to be your own associate. At least, you know, like right. yeah. you have to be the analyst and the associate. You have to proofread your own work and you have to stand by it because there are going to be questions that we get from lenders, partners, management team companies that yeah. I don't know. And mm -hmm. you're going to have to take them. Mm -hmm. I mean, so, and depending on the investment bank that they're coming from, right, they'll have different levels of experience with that kind of, you know, attention. Um, mm -hmm. but, but as you mentioned, like, look, it's only a license to excel. And it's mm -hmm. only a license to, to flex upwards, to, to play the role of a senior associate or, or a junior VP on deals. And it just comes faster out of necessity, right? We're, we're thinly staffed. And, and it can, things can happen where all of a sudden we have multiple deals at the same time. And it's like, we have to play man-to-man -man coverage. You know, we all have to split up. And you know what, associate with, with two years experience, 
guess what? You're a VP now. And, and you have to, you know, you have to manage the vendors. You have to run the QV process. You have to answer all the lender questions because um, no one else has time. And if we don't flex that way, we'll lose the deal. Um, so it, those opportunities come when you least expect them. Um, you know, I feel like it, it happened to us probably late 2020 when everyone mm-hmm. thought COVID was going to slow down deals forever. Um, yeah. All of a sudden we have like four deals live at once. And at the time we had like eight people that worked at Periscope. Like that was, you know, a very intense period of, of kind of that, you know, uncomfortable, you don't have as much experience as you thought you might at this stage, but time to run a deal. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I think everyone who was around at that time, like everyone benefited from that level of discomfort and opportunity to gain a little bit more experience. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas that a big fund like that just, it's hard to put pressure on those, on those models because they have so much more people. The bench is so much deeper. And if they need to, they can pull in a team of anchors. They can pull in that team from Bain, you know, mm-hmm. to run commercial due diligence for them, right? Mm-hmm. They can flex a lot more because they can afford to. Mm-hmm. In all honesty, Joe, like, um, tell me your thoughts on this. Like, if this is a game of responsibility at the end of the day, right? And taking on more responsibility. And obviously this comes from an individual that like, I, I'm not going to say I thrive in like lack of structured environments, but obviously like I was at Battery for a couple of years, went to Source Grab, employee number two, helped them scale up to 50 people, sold to PE. But like, obviously like I've had like a headache for the last like six years of my life, right? Like you just have to, right? It's just like being in the unknown of, okay, is this going to go well? Is it not going to go well? Before it was just like, okay, if it doesn't go well, I can opt out, right? Like I did it for a couple of years, try something different. Now it's my own baby. If this thing doesn't go well, it's just like, well, let's listen. Like the only person I can look at is like my co-founder. He can look at me. We can look in the mirror and like figure something out. But long story short, if it's like, if you know for a fact, you're going to get paid in finance, you stay in banking, you go to private equity, you go to a hedge fund, something of the sort. In my mind, it'd be like, okay, like what does the long-term vision look like? Do you want to start your own fund? Do you want to stay in the space? Do you want to go to business school? And in that capacity, just take on as much responsibility as you can from the onset. And I would argue a smaller fund, you get more responsibility because it's smaller, right? You can like work more hands-on with people. Sure, multi-billion dollar buyouts might not be happening. But the reality is, is that how many of those companies exist in the first place? And if you're looking to start like your own fund or work at the operating side or go to business school, you're not going to start a fund, like very, very low likelihood you start a fund, first time funds like 10 bill. First time funds like maybe a billion with like a couple HPS buddies or booth buddies mm-hmm. or what have you. And that might work out. But I don't know. I mean, I just think that there's more responsibility as a whole for associates to join something that's a bit more boutique or smaller. And especially because you can run with like a variety of like the entire process. And I would argue this actually... Um, correlates as well to banking because we'll connect with some like smaller boutique here banks where people will be like, like, I function as an associate. Literally it's me and my MD on a call and on a deal and I'm doing everything. Whereas like then we'll connect with some like, whether it be like a city, whether it be an MS or what have you. And they're like, like, honestly, like I don't have the pen on the model. I don't touch the model, right? Like if anything, I'm like filling in the blanks on like a template and it's left in or it's M&A touching the model. And I might be doing like a capital raise, something of the sort. And sometimes that's literally just like an like approval email um, from the lenders or something of the sort where it's just like very, very quick. And sure, I can like talk about like my deal experience, but I don't really have much experience here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, 100% agree with everything you said. And, and I think, 
but it does take the right attitude to embrace that, right? Mm -hmm. You're, there's opportunity cost, right? You're trading cash comp for extra responsibility. It's a little bit of a longer term play. Um, I think it's, it's more enjoyable, right? You're testing yourself, you're challenging yourself in new ways. Um, I think there's a, there's a little bit more of like maybe flexibility on next opportunities. Um, it's not unheard of for our former associates to go into portfolio companies, um, to take more like hybrid ops roles. Um, mm -hmm. you know, especially as you think about like, you know, personally in my career, I've gone back and forth between PE and consulting so many times people probably see that, you know, it's something that kind of interests me as well. I love getting involved on the ops side. Mm -hmm. I love talking strategy and, and, you know, thinking about a new operating model and, and think about how we can really, you know transform some of these companies we see, you know, in a book. Um, that's just kind of my personal style. But in, in the lower middle market, you get all that, you know, potential because you're touching so much more, right? It, I can see it being a lot harder when you're a role player, right? In, in, and that can be at a bank, right? If you're on the DCM team or the ECM team and you're, you know, or you're just the Levfin group, like you're specialized. And that's how mm -hmm. institutional places get, right? Everyone specializes and you know, you talked about kind of, you know, the boutique bank experience versus bulge bracket. Like we, we totally see that when we do interviews, right? We, we see the, the hands-on experience or lack thereof really quickly. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And that's right. We, yeah. we don't have a ton of appetite for those, you know, kind of high level. I'm a, I'm a, you know, role player on a team of eight or 10 bankers, right? We want the yeah. people who have you know, the, the boots on the ground experience and have been getting their hands dirty because there's plenty of that to go around, um, mm -hmm. especially in a place like Periscope. Yeah, no, that's phenomenal. Can you tell us a little bit more about the roles um, that you're looking for and how might one get involved and kind of what that looks like as a whole and maybe ideal associate profile or if there is one? Yeah, for sure. So we're, uh, yeah, so we're actively recruiting right now for one for an, kind of an immediate start associate and, cool. and another for next summer. Um, you know, it, it's kind of the first time ever that we've recruited like that far in advance. Um, cool. Cool. You'll notice this, I think, a lot with boutique PE firms, right? They're kind mm -hmm. of always like, you know, just in time recruiting. But yeah. look, we're, you know, we're about a year and a half into our second fund and we're starting to think about fund three and we're starting to think nice. about having a regular cycle of, of new associates. Mm -hmm. But, you know, mm -hmm. the institutional places, right, they're doing 10 associates a summer and they have slots and stuff like that, but we're, we're just starting for the first time to look ahead. Um, and I think, look, for, for the candidates that we're looking for, like we need people with, with an appetite and enthusiasm uh, for coming to something entrepreneurial, mm -hmm. right? The, I'd say, you know, we, we love backgrounds of people from the Midwest or, or ties to the Midwest. Cause I think, you know, personality and fit wise, it, it does mm -hmm. fit very well with our culture. Um, yeah. And we want people who are kind of set up for the long term. Um, mm -hmm. you know, we, we always want that potential to get people, you know, internally promoted through to partner. Um, nice. Also, you know, that boutique investment bank experience where you have analysts who work on thin teams or, or, you know, get a lot of exposure being an associate at an early kind of stage in their career. Mm -hmm. um, but maybe the deals are super small, like, you know, 30, 40 million EV and, they're all, you know, generalists. They do industrials. They do services. They do healthcare. Um, that's probably a good candidate for us, right? We nice. we don't really care a ton about vertical focus. Um, okay. You know we you know we 
you know, Periscope looks at tech-enabled services and software. Um, mm-hmm. If you have exposure to, to businesses like that, great. Um, mm-hmm. But it, but for us, that's a you know that's above and beyond. You know, we we are we're looking for skilled knowledge of finance and accounting. We're looking for that FDNA you know skill set. Can you build mm-hmm. a model from the bottoms up, sitting side by side with the CEO and asking them questions? Yeah. yeah, because because we don't have right a lot of these companies. They're brought to market by banks that don't, you know, that don't have a ton of data to sell them mm-hmm. on. Um, the Sims we look at are incredibly light when we mm-hmm. get Sims. Right now yep. I'm working on, on three deals. None of them have bankers, really? let alone Sims. Yeah. So you're making yeah. all the data from scratch. Um, wow. You're learning so much you more. You learn so much more. You yeah. need to be creative. You need to be scrappy. You need to do that extra few set of GLG calls, right, to, mm-hmm. to figure mm-hmm. out what's going on. And look, it's, it's a little bit more work when you can't copy and paste stuff from the sim and just, you know, take a picture or screenshot of a chart and drop it into the IC memo. Mm-hmm. Um, but to be honest, that's, you know, those deals are the ones where we make so much more money on. Um, they're not just gonna say options. That. Like, they're, they're a little bit messy. There's always some hair on them. Um, but in our part of the market, like you'll get all, you'll get paid all day for professionalizing those companies, um, for working with those management teams to take them to the next level, um, for for you know consolidating those businesses with mm-hmm. others in their industry to make something that one day William Blair or Baird are gonna or, or Ray sell J they're else. gonna sell, yeah, yeah, and then it's gonna look really good, right? And yeah. in some ways, we're making a product for PE firms that are bigger than us, right? Yeah. Like there a GTCR are, Madison Airborne, like it will probably sit in their portfolio eventually. And it's just a matter of like building that up. And like, honestly, you bring up a really good point, right? $200 million to turn that into 600 million is much easier than turning two bill into six. Like that just doesn't happen, right? Like we always think about like, I remember connecting with um, a friend on the private wealth side of things. He effectively, like, you know, like technically like a Blackstone and Apollo will raise money and they'll go to like BAML and whatnot, um, call it like private wealth and GS. And then they're looking for individuals to fit that fund um like mandate and like even like a Vista and Toma, like that 25 billion, like technically on an IRR basis and kind of that like fund, like money on money return, it cannot be that ridiculous because it just like it's 25 billion dollars. That's insane compared to like literally like something that might be like 250 mil, where it's like, yeah, we like forex that fund because like this deal did phenomenally. And you have carry there. And those carry numbers are ridiculous as well. And not to mention like so long it doesn't get too out of control where like maybe 250 turns into like 500 maybe turns into like a bill eventually and it i don't know if it turns into like five bill but like the idea is is that you stay pretty like core disciplined at the end of the day like sure the pie might be like bigger at some of these bigger shops but it really matters like what part of the pie you're eating right so right and and as we talked about earlier right the vp role like it's pretty similar across the industry mm-hmm. in terms of dollars yeah. at work for me. Mm-hmm. So if you feel good that like, hey, this fund is going to land in the three to five X range, you know, mm-hmm. this part of the market, those returns are much more common than, mm-hmm. you know, like that, you know, two or three times the size fund um, where, you know, probably two to three X is probably the right range for a good fund. Um, you know, you think about those longer term bets. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's what makes it exciting. Like we find diamonds in the rough. Those totally. don't really exist, you know, when, when you're talking about a, a, you know, kind of top tier investment bank bringing something to market. Yeah. There just yeah. aren't diamonds in the rough at that level. You know, they're all pretty polished and it's really hard to generate alpha 
because those are those are very well run auctions, and you end up paying exactly what the market you know determines. Dictates. Yeah, yeah. You can't really find like an arbitrage opportunity. Um, you could see literally it was Stone Point, it was Francisco Partners, it was Premiera. They all raised like anywhere from like ten to fifteen bill in the last week, and. Yeah. If you ask anyone, like if you get jobs at all of them, which one do you take and why? Most people would not be able to answer that question. So then the mm-hmm. question ends up being like, all right, like how do entrepreneurs and how do CEOs think about it? Of course, like Stone Point might be a little bit more like fig oriented. Premier is a bit more like European presence, um, mm-hmm. what have you. And so like eventually you can get into it. But the reality is like money is kind of like still a commodity on the buy side. Capital is still a commodity. And we used to say this like five, six, seven years ago at Battery. Whereas like if it's still carrying forward and weight today, what does that mean when it comes to like really differentiating the strategy as a whole um, and the pitch? So yeah. Joe, if you don't mind me asking, uh, one of the questions came in, like how uh, Periscope thinks about the future, Fund3 as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm more curious to get an understanding. Uh, apologies if this is too close to the fire. Um, do associates get access to like co-invest, carry, anything of the sort? Is that something more senior associates? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And actually, I want to hit on one thing first, because you asked about kind of differentiation, because it's, mm-hmm. it's super important, right? And, you know, more important, so, you know, when there's a lot of dry powder in the industry, um, I would, I would, you know, kind of pose the question of like, you know, to all potential future associates, like, figure out why that firm wins deals. Um, because winning deals by paying the highest price is not a good way to make money in the long term. Um mm-hmm. And I'd say if, if Peri- Periscope has a style, um, we're definitely more founder friendly than our peers. Mm-hmm. Um, we have plenty of examples in our portfolio of founders that we've built around, right? They mm-hmm. stay as CEO and we hire executive teams around them to really elevate the whole business. Um, that's one way we differentiate. Another is by, you know, upfront, before we submit an LOI, we like to kind of lay our cards on the table. Um, and we try to lay out our value creation plan to the existing owners. Um, part, part of that's because we're asking them, we're always asking them to roll equity, right? And they have to, you know, it could be a third of the purchase price, right? Is an equity in the new company. They really have to buy into the vision. Um, but it's also for, you know, look, we're going to sit across the table at board meetings for the next four years. Um, we better agree on what direction to take the company. And, and those meetings are not always, you know, free of conflict because, of because a lot of times it's something new that we're bringing up, right? It's, it's something the founder hasn't thought about before or a unique business combination they haven't considered. Um, and this is a business, yeah. right, where they've worked for a decade or two decades and mm-hmm. we're sitting across the table going, hey, we've done a lot of work over the past two weeks mm-hmm. and we really think this should change this. We haven't taken business. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, so it's a delicate balance of, of you know, of kind of educated suggestions, but not, not coming in too heavy handed. But the founders that buy into the vision, right? Like it, it gets us a discount. I know it does. Um, mm-hmm. and, and we've heard it from founders directly. Um, and I think it's that it's both the personality, but it's also the kind of the transparency that, that people do really value. Um, to, to the latter part of your question, I think, as far as I know, associates don't have kind of the economic, you know, long-term incentives that that senior associates, VPs, and above get um, at Periscope. I, nice. You know, and I think well, senior associates great too. I mean, most of the time it doesn't start until way later. Right, and I think that's yeah. because look, you're you're kind of committing to the long term when you cross mm-hmm. those thresholds, right? Mm-hmm. Then as an associate, you know, you're still kind of in in your trial period, 
You know, it's, it's, you know, you kind of have to prove yourself. You kind of have to prove mm-hmm. that you're interested in sticking around. Um, yep. You know, is it worth giving, you know, an associate a couple grand of, of co-invest when they're going to go to business school and you'll never see them again. And, you know, mm-hmm. five years mm-hmm. down the line, it's like a nice, you know, check in the mail that they forgot uh, was coming. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah. But I think, but look, those, those economic opportunities are absolutely there at boutique mm-hmm. funds and they're absolutely, and they're absolutely there as funds grow. Um, mm-hmm. Right, they're probably more so there uh, than than some of the more institutional places. Mm-hmm. Nice. And sorry if we mentioned a little bit around like Periscope Future and Fund Three, and then of course um, hiring more people. Is it? I mean, I guess like the main question in my mind is like, if you see, oh my god, I think like Francisco maybe like the mandate was like ten bill and they closed to like seventeen or something ridiculous. Like, do you see Periscope going off chart? Not like off chart, but like really, really like we're two hundred million today and we're going to be like. 1.2 tomorrow. I assume not, but no, absolutely not. I like, and I wouldn't like that. Right, the a lot of the people yeah. Paris would not like that. If yeah. you know, if the partners were like, yeah, we're, we're putting up a bill, um, because look, while in the short term that's a great way to raise management fees, in the mm-hmm. long term you're only impacting returns. And I just told you, yeah. you know, I t- we talked all about how you know, your comp is so tied to returns in this part of the market. Right. Yeah. Like, to me, it's all about discipline. You know, how mm-hmm. small can we keep the fund while still creating enough seats for partners in the future? Because yep. Yep. the smaller yep. we stay, the more we can justify some of these smaller companies that are a little bit rough around the edges, mm-hmm. a proprietary deal where we get a really good kind of discount. But hey, the equity check is going to be pretty small. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. if you have a bigger fund, you can't do it, right? You you just can't. You want to. It just won't. Yeah, it won't move the needle. Like, it just wouldn't make sense. Yeah. So I'm most concerned with our ability to continue to do deals mm-hmm. the size that we have done since the beginning. Um, yeah. You know, our our first fund was 100 million, but with co-invest, we deployed about 30 million equity per company. Nice. Um, but we only did five. Mm-hmm. So when I think about fund two. You know, it's it's 225 on the cover. Maybe there's a little bit of co-invest, but I think mm-hmm. on average, we'll probably do more than five companies. We'll probably do like seven or eight, mm-hmm. but they'll all kind of be around that 30 million level still. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're not deviating from our mandate um, because, you know, losing access to those size of companies is, is really where you start to kind of have, okay, we're underwriting, you know, we're no longer underwriting to three and a half times. We're underwriting to three. Or underwriting to two and a half, you know, and that starts to creep down because your, you know, your sourcing gets up market and you start to have to buy a lot more from, you know, from highly credentialed investment banks, which mm-hmm. we want to sell with them. We don't want to buy from them. Mm-hmm. It's true. Honestly, to anyone uh, listening to this, right? Like we can go on LinkedIn and we can see that like I'm humbled and honored to provide a hundred million dollars to so-and-so uh, firm or so-and-so company on the growth equity or venture side of things. But the reality is the world that we live in, like there aren't necessarily press releases around money being returned to individuals. Strike one day, you'll see at like 95 bill. The next day you'll see like cuts by like, what is it? Like 28% internal valuation. There's no middle and good news is only as good news as in like, okay, technically like I've like raised a lot of money and sure that's good and great in a bull market. But the reality is like anyone that saw Stripe as the most valuable like private company as an example, all of a sudden, like if they're having like the best day of their lives one day, like that can change pretty darn quick. So like I can really like, I mean, I really respect what you just mentioned. 
around staying small, staying boutique, proper returns, because honestly, even from a consumer side of things, anyone can spend money, literally. So when it comes to like making money off of that spending to purchase assets, that's a whole different conversation than in all honesty, like most people don't have. Yeah. No, and it's easy to lose sight of it, right? Like, I think, you know, when you're in banking, you, you know, you go to the closing dinners, you run the auction, yeah, yeah, you're so yeah. tied to like rewarding people when they buy something. It's like <laughs> our, our, you know, our platform closes on a new, on a new investment are so muted, right? They are like, all right, you know, day one, time to get, time to, to, get work. to work. Yeah. Right. Oh my God. And the real celebration is for the, you know, when the check at the exit hits your bank account and everyone's, mm-hmm. you know, then everyone's doing the real closing dinner. You know, yeah. the ones that entry are, 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 are very tame um, because that, you know, look, anyone with enough money can buy a business and can pay some, you know, ridiculous multiple mm-hmm. and miss something in diligence. Right. Which is, mm-hmm. you know, why I got past committee. Um, but to get to the exit successfully, you know, to assemble the mm-hmm. team, to make the right investments into technology, to do the right data on M&A, and then to convince other investors Right. Our, we, we just had our first exit. We sold a company called Power Digital to Courtsquare. Nice. Congrats. But to convince, you know, other highly trained, highly experienced, mm-hmm. incredibly smart professional negotiators, right, professional negotiators that what you spent the last four years doing is worth them paying a premium for. Like yeah. that is a true test of, of kind of fundamental private equity investing. Right. Yeah. You are business building, you know, you're yeah. you're and in that way, like, yes. Our business is our product. Mm-hmm. We want all of them to be potential, you know, second, you know, platform investments, you know, second trades for billion dollar funds. Right. We're, we're producing a team that is plug and play so mm-hmm. that it's not as much work. There's not as much recruiting. There's not as much M&A, you know, integration prep. You know, it's mm-hmm. a team that's done it before. Mm-hmm. Bigger funds can put more equity to work and can continue to see returns for the next, you know, few trades on an asset. Totally. Um, exactly. And it's a, it's work starting for court square, right? Being like, mm-hmm. all right, like, did we like make the right purchase here? As I'm sure, of course they did. But I mean, at the end of the day, it's like, listen, like now who do we sell this to and what sort of value do we provide over the next couple of years um, yeah. for someone bigger, um, which I think is really interesting because arguably like, yeah, I mean, the portfolio companies of today can end up being like literally like trade to mega funds in the future. Yeah. Yeah, that I mean that's that's the goal, right? We we mm-hmm. feel like our, you know, we take companies across thresholds, right? Like typically we buy at four or five million EBITDA. Mm-hmm. We're trying to get it to ten or fifteen, you know, hopefully higher, you know, maybe twenty-five at exit, right? The the universe of buyers opens up so much each of yeah. those thresholds that you cross, right? Yeah. There's yeah. not a ton. Like honestly, we compete with search funds sometimes at like mm-hmm. those lower levels of EBITDA. Especially That's for now. yeah. But when you cross that five, 10, like the debt universe opens up, more lenders will look at it. Like mm-hmm. the P firms are willing to spend a little bit more in diligence. So the auctions get more competitive. Um, mm-hmm. But that's that's a game that will be around for years to come. And I think it's a very repeatable part of our strategy is, is doing work for other PE firms. Literally more funds raising more money is only advantageous to you and your team and your firm, and those tailwinds only benefit smaller funds. I completely literally, it's like I joke about it. It's like American Express being like, "Bro, like I need you to spend twenty grand a month." 
And it's just like, well, all right, like I just need to find the stuff to buy, right? Like, sure, let's figure this out here. But like, if it goes from like 10 grand a month to 20 grand a month, well, it's like, listen, like I'm either going to buy like more things or I'm just going to buy like more expensive things and same uh, quantity. Yeah. Um, and, and that's what we see. We see that in the market today. I think, you know, deal volumes are definitely down uh, this year, year to date. Um, and the, the quality assets are fewer and far between. Mm-hmm. And the mm-hmm. ones that are out there that are growing, you know, if you're still mm-hmm. growing, you know, more than 20% a year, right? You have a good management team, like those processes are getting incredibly competitive for the reasons mm-hmm. you just mentioned, because people are feeling the pressure of deploying on a certain schedule. Yep. Um, yep. Like, I think, you know, we have, we have the privilege of Periscope of being below that, you know, mm-hmm. below those most competitive environments, but we see it too. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, we'll use this time in the next few months to stay disciplined We'll start to work more on proprietary kind of thesis development. And there have been a few that I've kind of left on the shelf uh, for from the past few years that I'm excited to kind of dig into. Um, because, you know, when when the market kind of gets like this, where deals slow down and all the processes are competitive, you know, being nimble and, and going around 100%. it for proprietary yeah. stuff is, is where you can continue to get, you know, high return. Yeah, value add. Last question, if you don't want me asking, what makes a great associate? And what do you look for? Oh, man. I like for me, it's energy and enthusiasm above all else. Like you can, I'll take someone who's got, you know, a no name bank or, you know, less financial reps, less deal reps working Mm -hmm. Mm mom. But man, if you come every day, just ready to play, smile on your face and you know, we're a team like that will close deals together. Promise you that. I love it. Anyone interested, feel free to reach out to us because we are trying to help out here, of course. Um, doing some betting before, doing some mock interviewing. So that, of course, Joe isn't spinning cycles, connecting to too, too many people. Uh, want to make sure we're efficient with the time. Uh, but thank you so much, Joe. Honestly, great conversation. Uh, hope everyone enjoyed. I'm glad that we got uh, one question in here overall. But um, yeah, I mean, definitely, definitely like pretty fluid conversation overall. And uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it, it makes me want to apply, right? Like literally, like there's so many times where I'm like, I wish I could have multiple full-time gigs. Um, but yeah, no, definitely sounds like really exciting overall. And I love that. Like most people wouldn't say like, oh, we're trying to stay small. We're trying to stay boutique. We're trying to stay focused. Whereas in the world that we live in, like bigger is better. Like we'll see where that shakes out. Yeah. No, thanks for having me on. This was, this was a lot of fun looking. You know, hopefully, you know, everyone on the call got something out of my uh, my ramblings over the past hour. But um, <laughs> if, if any of them sounded sounded good, yeah, definitely, you know, contact office hours and the run in the process for us. And we're hoping to find a couple, you know, new members of the team um, and, ex- and excited about what the future holds at Periscope. Love it. Love it. Thank you so much. Chat yeah. shortly. Thank you. Again. Take care. Have a good one.